What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Hey everybody, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Welcome to Beekeeping for Newbies. We have an awesome, exciting day here today. It's sunny out, the rain is over, birds are chirping, all kinds of good stuff going on. So as always, feel free to reach out, Jeff, at beekeepingfornewbies.com. I always enjoy hearing about your thoughts, your adventures, and of course, telling me where I'm wrong. That's always fun too. So everybody, as a lot of you know, I did promise we had a special guest coming up here soon. And out of Detroit, Michigan, a a new friend of ours is the co-founder of Bees in the D. Ladies and gentlemen, Brian Peterson. Brian, how are you doing today? I am good. Thanks for having me, Jeff. Glad to have you here. Um, If you wouldn't mind, uh, I always kind of like to do this when we kick things off with a, a new guest. If you could just give us kind of a quick intro uh, you know, how you got into beekeeping, how long you've been doing it, um, anything else that you want the audience to know about you? Yeah, I would love to. I'll, I'll try to do it in a nutshell because it's quite a journey and kind of a fun one at that. Um, but I started beekeeping about 14 years ago, and it was due to the generosity of others. Uh, I always have been one of those people that loves to be out in nature, but to be honest with you, I was Real reptile and amphibian buff, uh, loved birds and wildflowers. Uh, but I got a call one day from uh, the Rochester Science Coordinator. Now, let me give you a little background there. Um, I teach. I'm a fifth grade teacher in my 23rd year uh, in Rochester Community Schools in Rochester, Michigan. And the science coordinator gave me a call, knew that I was a nature buff, and said, hey, we've got a group of gardeners, the Rochester Gardeners Club, that would like to send a teacher up to Beaver Island to learn all about beekeeping. And um, so real quick, Beaver Island is an incredible, it's one of the largest islands in Lake Michigan, and it's very natural, has a biological center. um, And it was a two-week course through Oakland University. And of course, my first question was, what's it going to cost me? And they said, the cost is covered. They want to send a teacher, and I said, sign me up. So uh, I journeyed out to learn all about beekeeping on this incredible island. I caught the bug, boom, <laughs> as I like to say, and uh, fell in love with beekeeping. Uh, the professor of uh, the course became a dear friend and my bee mentor, 
and happened to be uh, in the Detroit area as well because Oakland University is just north of the city. And I actually went to Oakland University for my master's and my specialist. So I was familiar with it, and it, that just launched my beekeeping, I guess you could say, hobby. And then um, fast forward a little bit, I met a different bee, uh, the other Brian, the other co-founder. And uh, we decided to move down to the city of Detroit because we were living in a northern suburb. And when we moved down, I kind of missed my bees a little bit. <laughs> and so I said, I am missing that bee therapy. I'm missing going in hides. Uh, and the bees were there for me. I call it my therapy because those of us that are beekeepers totally know what I'm talking about. Um, it is my yoga. And uh, I just missed it. They were there for me when I needed them. So it was my turn to give back because, as we all know, the bee populations were starting to decline. County clap disorder was uh, a huge topic. And so I said, let's start a nonprofit so I can have a few hives in the city. Uh, reached out to a couple business owners that were friends that had a bar and a prosthetic center, believe it or not, <laughs> and said, hey, do you got any roof space? And they said, absolutely. And so we started with six hives. That was about six years ago. Um, and then word started to get out about uh, this beekeeper that's doing beekeeping up on rooftops. And when the convention center here in Detroit, the formerly known as Kobo, then it was TCF Center, and now it is Huntington Place, heard about it. They asked us to put bees on the roof. And once that, uh, you know, started to become known, it really got a lot of attention. And so we went from six hives to the next year, 29 hives, and then the next year, 102 hives, and then up to 200 hives. And now we're up about 220 hives at 69 different locations, schools, businesses, other organizations across five counties in Southeast Michigan. So it's been such a journey and it has been so much fun. And so that's just in a nutshell, a little bit, but there's a lot of other components that I'm sure we'll get into as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So as you're talking, there's so many things that, that come to mind. So I think my nephew actually went to Oakland University and you know they're all from Sterling Heights and I've got you know, family up there uh, near Lake St. Clair, and we've got family in Grand Rapids and all over Michigan. So uh, definitely familiar with some of the places that you mentioned. But, you know, it's funny as you're talking, especially with the therapy piece. So that was one of the first things that I noticed when I first got into beekeeping because there is that, of course, initial stress that a new beekeeper feels whenever they look at that that hive and they know there's 20 or 30,000 stingers in there and they're coming for you, right? In your mind, you're just like, they're coming for me. And how that you see that shift in yourself from the fear of this unknown to where I got to a point where I would walk outside so many, I mean, for the first few years, once I got into my groove, I would go out with a cup of coffee, sit down in between a couple of hives and just watch them for like a half hour, just coming in and out and hear the little buzzes going by. And I would talk about therapy. That was just a, a great experience. So I'm definitely on the same page with you there. Totally. I, I 100% I would do the same. And I always tell people it, it touches every, all five senses. If you really think about it, I mean, obviously visually watching that traffic of bees, the sound of the buzz is amazing. A lot of people don't realize this, but the smell of a hive is just intoxicating. It's, it's, it's amazing. And then once you get to go into that hive, the touch, and then of course, everybody loves the taste because of that, that honey. Um, and so it really does, a lot of people just 
private to me as we do a lot of high tours. It's on their bucket list. It is a bucket list <laughs> thing. And for me to get to do it, you know, regularly, I mean, how amazing is that? So uh, I, I'm right there with you. It, it was uh, a very needed thing in my life at that time. And now it has launched me being able to connect with so many people and get to do so many cool experiences. Yeah, you know, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think that that's it's it's literally the same type of thing with me. And I think that we all go through our our journey of life, and there are quite often times where we are, we're trying to force something. We have this vision, and we we think mm-hmm. we need to be over here, and we try to push, 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 and then life just has a way of kind of bringing you where you need to be. And if you'd asked me ten years ago, am I going to be beekeeping all the time and and doing a podcast and doing YouTube videos and trying to do all these things to get messaging out about honeybees, I probably would have laughed at myself and be like, that's not going to happen. But yet I'm finding it to be one of the most rewarding things I've ever done. And, and I'm at, at peace with it. And it's just uh, a great experience. So I, I uh, definitely can relate to that. So I, you know, I think that that leads really well into the, you know, the formation of, you know, bees in the D. So you kind of gave a high level overview and how you got a few, you know, hives on different rooftops here and there and how you grew out. Can you help us better understand kind of, you know, the mission and, and where you're trying to go and some of the outreach, just anything and everything that that kind of is, you know, bees in the D? Yeah, so I usually like to tell people that our mission really stems on two pillars, education and conservation. And, and when I say bees, I, I'm talking more broadly. I mean, obviously, we mainly focus with honeybees because they, it, it's just a, it's a species of bees that allows you to manage them and use them to help educate people. But of course we care about our, our native pollinators as well. Um, and then being a teacher, I mean, education uh, flows through my blood and I want people like I'm a lifelong learner. I love learning more. And if you want to keep learning, go into beekeeping because <laughs> it is a constantly changing. You're learning new things. Uh, You're learning from uh, other beekeepers. Um, And so I really want people to see uh, the amazing world of bees and honeybees, but I also want them to understand the importance of them. And so I do a lot of educating uh, about bees, of course, but also about a lot of the misconceptions and a lot of of, uh, things like you were kind of saying that uh, you get that that feeling of that Alfred Hitchcock, I always say that it's more the birds, but I'm thinking, you know, kind of like the, um, you know, like the bees and people envision like these, these bees that are just always like the minute you get near them, they're just attacking you. And it is so different than that. And so I really love to educate that um, kind of bees. I, I kind of explain it to kids, especially that like, have you ever been blamed for something that you didn't do. And it just gives you that awful feeling like it's not fair. Like I didn't do it, but they think I did it. That's kind of a bee's life because there's so many species like wasp and hornet that kind of give bees a bad name. And up here in Michigan, um, cider mills are huge um, because we have a lot of apple trees and fall is just a, 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 a wonderful season. And boy, is that season ripe for yellow jackets. And when you're at the cider mills, they're all over the place, in the trash, on your donut, in your cider. And people are always like, these bees are so horrible. And it's like, 
<laughs> those aren't bees. Those are wasps. Yep, yep. <laughs> and I so I like to try to educate a little bit about that um, as well because I those these poor bees don't get to have a voice, you know. And so I consider it an honor that I get to be a voice for the bees to kind of clear up some of those misconceptions and help explain, you know, what bees mission is and what they are doing and how we need to be so thankful for them because the diversity of food that we all get to enjoy, a lot of the responsibility of that diversity is because of bees. Sure, sure. Absolutely. And I think that it's funny you mentioned that because I deal with the same thing here, right? Where, oh yeah, we were out and got stung by a bee and like, and and it's it's always the yellow jackets and the hornets, but mostly those yellow jackets, same mm-hmm. kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. In fact, we spent some time up there at Blake Cider Mill uh, almost every year. It's like the Friday after Thanksgiving <laughs> thing to do, you know? Yeah, yeah. We have hives up there right at Blake's as well. Okay. Oh, very cool. Very cool. Well, you know, for many years, I never actually went to Michigan uh, in the summer. I was always there, you know, Thanksgiving, Christmas time frame. But one of my favorite memes ever it says, uh, I love Michigan in the summer. I think it was on a Wednesday last year. You know, so <laughs> it's short, but it's really, really nice. So a uh, little sidebar there. So with the, uh, with, you know, so we've got these, these hives and these colonies that are, that are all over. You know, how far of a, of a space are you spanning? I know you said five different counties uh, and then inside the city there. So roughly what kind of geographical area are you covering? So right now, it, it pretty much goes an hour in every direction except for one because we have the uh, border, Canada. Sure, sure. Yep. <laughs> and so we go north about an hour, we go west about an hour, and we go south about an hour. Okay. Um, going east over into Canada, we actually did have some hives in Canada. We had a beekeeper over there. Uh, the pandemic kind of, uh, we couldn't cross the border, and so it made things very difficult. However, with that said, we have bees right along the Detroit River that obviously fly upwards of five miles radius from their hives, and so they are going into Canada. But currently, it's about an hour each way uh, from what we call our hub, our downtown hub of Detroit. Uh, but with that said, <laughs> we are actually now exploring um, uh, popping up in other areas in Michigan, as far north up into the Traverse City area, over to Grand Rapids, where I grew up. And actually out of state. Uh, we haven't done that yet, but there's a lot of interest um, with us helping to launch a bee program in other cities that uh, I would, you know, get beekeepers that could help out and really expand beyond uh, the metro Detroit area. Sure, sure. No, that makes sense. And I, like we had touched on that, I think, briefly the other day when we chatted you know, trying to find some kind of like a system almost that would help kind of lather, rinse, repeat for other cities and other places for people to kind of enable them to do the same thing that you're doing. Definitely. So are there any places, I know you, you mentioned a couple uh, on the phone when we chatted the other day, uh, the one that really stuck out with me is uh, you'd mentioned, I think it was maybe a distillery that had the, the honey bourbon, uh, but any, any special unique places like that that you'd like to share with us? Well, yeah, that one is, is very special. Look, we have a wonderful relationship with Detroit City Distillery, and they make an incredible bourbon, many different bourbons, actually. And it's actually, what's cool about it as well is it's on a historic building. It's the old Stroh's ice cream plant um, that is now a distillery. And so we have two hives that are up on their roof and actually some other hives that we do along with them. And each year we take... Um, about 55 gallons of honey, 
and we put it in a bourbon barrel. And there's enough flavor in that barrel that the honey then takes on that bourbon flavor. And then we bottle that up uh, around Black Friday every year. Um, we had about 500 bottles this last year. It was the most that we've had, and we sold out in two hours. Wow. Um, but then what they do is they put bourbon back in the barrel and use some of the honey to back, you know, sweeten the bourbon, and they make a honey bourbon, mm. which is just outstanding. Actually, it's won a few awards um, with bourbon competitions that there are in the nation. Um, and so that's a really fun partnership. But it's not the only one. I mean, we do some uh, – brews as well. There's a lot of breweries here in uh, Southeast Michigan. Uh, so we make some incredible beers. Um, we uh, are part of many restaurants uh, where the, the honey goes right from the roof down to the restaurant. Uh, I mean, it doesn't get fresher than that. So there are a lot of really special connections. And of course, I love our, our locations where we're at schools and educational facilities because that's a big part of our mission and so be, to be able to have them right there at the school and and work with the green teams and to take children and teachers um, into the hives is just incredible that is really cool you know and that's one thing that i think that you know as i get a chance to you know sync up with you again in the future and, and maybe get a better idea of some of your you know tips of the trade and, and how you've kind of found ways to get things done because i really feel like there might be some opportunities for me to do some similar things down here and like you said before, right, it's all about that educational process, continuing to to grow yourself and, and you know, you never stop learning if you, you know, if you stop, you're dead. I mean, that's kind of the way it works out. Yeah, and, and Jeff, people want unique experiences. And so, like, one of the hotels that we're on in Birmingham, uh, we're going to be actually working on a B package where people that are maybe on vacation or want to do a little staycation uh, there is a room, uh, we have beehives up on the roof that right outside the window, you can see the hives. And so it's kind of a bee-themed <laughs> room. And then part of that is uh, if you stay in that room, uh, you can tag on to that, like hive tours, and actually get to go in the hives. And so we're really trying to make excursions like that. And then later that evening, uh, we have a great relationship with the chef. Uh, they can be treated to a honey-themed meal. Wow. And so it's really unique things like that that, that people love when it's something that is just out of the ordinary. And it, and, and, and you, you hit the nail on the head. It's, this can be done anywhere. This isn't just a Michigan thing. It, it can be done throughout the nation, throughout the world. And, and that's what we're excited about. Because ultimately, when you boil it down, it's not about bees and the D. It's not about me as a beekeeper. It's about our bees. It's about that education and helping people understand the importance and how we can help our pollinators. Absolutely, without a doubt. Well, you know, I think that, and that might be a good lead-in to maybe talk a little bit about what you have going up there with the Michigan Pollinator Center. Yeah, so um, when we started the organization, uh, within the first year, we kind of made a goal, um, because it's, it's important to have goals to try to, to reach, and it pushes you. Um, and so our 10-year goal was to uh, break ground and create a pollinator center. Uh, basically, it's kind of like a nature center that's main focus is pollinators, uh, gardens that help them, way stations for them, and uh, a place that people can come to learn more. And here we are going into our sixth year, and we are breaking ground this month. Sweet. And so we're very excited to be ahead of schedule. And uh, 
it, it's really worked well here in Detroit because a lot of people know a little bit of the history of Detroit, and it, it really went through a little bit of a, a downswing uh, a few decades ago. And uh, the city is really coming back, which is kind of cool because bees have always symbolized resurrection and prosperity. And so for us to be doing bees and Detroit is now thriving, it, it just, it's symbiotic beyond, you know, it, it just really fits. Um, but there's a lot of vacant land here in Detroit, which actually is fantastic for bees because vacant land grows a lot of weeds and weeds are food for bees. And uh, there's a lot more diversity in the city. And being a tree city USA as well, uh, a lot of trees, which people don't really a lot of times think about other than flowering trees. But a lot of our trees that we have, you know, even maples and oaks, those acorns, those helicopters as we used to love as kids, (laughs) they start out as a flower. And they're very important to our pollinators. And so the resources here in the city are just amazing. So we were able to acquire some land from the land bank um, and to be able to take a, a lot that has been abandoned um, and to, to now uh, turn it into something that is going to be used as a place, a destination, is, it's very exciting for us. That is really awesome. And I know when we spoke the other day, you, you kind of shocked me when you said, uh, oh, yeah, we have we have an actual you know apple orchard here in downtown. We've got all these urban gardens. You know, it's great to be able to take some of that, uh, you know, some of the challenges and some of the misfortune that a lot of people there in the city have gone through over the past couple of decades and to be able to turn it into something as useful and productive and exciting as I mean, I mean, think about uh, now and correct me where I'm wrong here, but I think I've heard things where essentially with some of these gardens, uh, you know, some of the neighbors will come in and say, hey, I'd like to have a little plot over here. And you, you kind of carve out your little space and you do some of your things. And it allows people to actually be, you know, actively engaged in, in you know, producing their own food. No, you are. You are right on. And, and Detroit actually had an incredible program where people, if there was a vacant lot uh, that was adjacent to their property, they could get this lot for like $100. And so people were buying up these lots. And then they were turning them into urban gardens to grow food, which is so exciting because uh, Detroit for many years has been considered a food desert when it comes to um, organic, healthy food. Uh, People were just going, you know, to the convenience stores and buying uh, food with lots of preservatives. And but now we have these gardens where people, number one, are learning the skill of how to grow your own food, which is. That is amazing to me because I think that is something that has been lost with a lot of, uh, especially inner city children and adults. But what I love is I'm even on a few boards of gardens that are here in the city. And that food that is grown there is then turned back over to neighbors. And we bring in chefs to uh, educate uh, people. They have little workshops of how to cook the food, how to prepare it properly. And obviously, then you bring into the bees. And now the, the, uh, the mass amount, because the bees are now pollinating it, so the production is obviously much higher, which then gets to feed more people. So it really is like an incredible model of what I think it should be like. You know, every time I hear you talk about a new subject, it seems like, in my mind, I'm looking at things at like a 100, 200 level, and you're already looking at it like the graduate level. You guys have already thought of everything, and you're doing. I mean, <laughs> that's really exciting and, and really cool things that you're doing there. So, 
this leads into one of the the more interesting aspects of a kind of like our, our pre-chat, because you mentioned this to me, and it's funny, if you can hear in the background, Phoebe has hiccups, so we'll, we'll uh, apologize in advance there. <laughs> if, any, if anybody's listening, Phoebe is not actively drinking during today's episode. But when you had said, you know, uh, in my mind, I always envision, you know, the the rural bee as being the most prosperous, you know, the suburban bees always kind of tend to struggle, but they have their their periods where they do well. But an urban bee, in my mind, it's oh, you're surrounded by cement and you're surrounded by concrete and cars and buildings, and there couldn't possibly be enough forage to, to sustain themselves. But you've got some information that is very much contrary to that, and I'd love to hear that. Yeah, you know, I thought the same thing. Like, it, because you do think of cities, there's a lot of concrete, but what we forget is there's also a lot of plants that are purposely planted. And there's also a lot of, at least here in Detroit, vacant lots. And what's been cool is a lot of the businesses that are in Detroit, uh, we have one um, uh, owner that owns a lot of the downtown thing. We were able to to meet with them and talk about the, the planters that they do and the, the little uh, courtyards and stuff and really uh, help educate the people that, that, um, that plan those plots and to put more pollinator-friendly things in it. But the more I read about it, and we have some dear friends uh, at Best Bees uh, that do a lot of studies on this and have bees throughout the nation in, in urban place, in urban environments. And what they're finding is actually that urban bees thrive more than even our rural and suburban bees. And it is quite amazing to think about that. And I, I was having a hard time wrapping my brain around it, but the more I read and the more I researched, and the fact that we have bees in all three areas, like the science was coming true. Our urban bees far outperform our rural and suburban bees, and um, our winter survival is even better uh, between them as well. And so the more that they researched it, believe it or not, one of the main reasons is there is more diversity in urban areas. And the more I thought about that, I thought, well, wait a second, rural is just all plants, but actually we're a very agricultural country. And so what we have done is we've created acres and acres, miles and miles of mono societies where we have planted all corn or maybe all soybeans here in Michigan or sugar beets. And while that may be resources, the flowers on the soybeans, there's not a large diversity. And we all know, even as humans, diversity in food is very important to our health. And so, yeah, it, it really surprises people that uh, the honey production is higher and the winter uh, survival rate is higher in the urban environment. Yeah, that, that was something else. I, I, so I definitely want to uh, do a little more research on that just to kind of, you know, better myself and for, for my own, uh, my own well being there, but that is pretty, pretty cool stuff. I'm going to shift gears for a second. Well, and one other thing. Yeah, Jeff, no, go ahead. Other, I, I forgot to share about this. I'm sorry. No, you're good. But one other thing to, to think about is uh, when we, we think about out in the rural areas and in the suburban areas, we tend to use a lot more pesticides and insecticides and fungicides and, and different kind of chemicals. But nobody's treating vacant lots in the city, you know? And so that's another factor to kind of think about as well, that that there's a, not as, as much um, 
chemicals and things like that that are being used in the city, which also can help contribute to the health of the bees. Now, that's a great point. Absolutely. Hey, everyone, thank you for listening. I hope that you're enjoying the show and are finding the information to be useful and valuable. In order to help keep the lights on, we do need to take a quick commercial break. Thank you so very much for hanging in there, and I appreciate you. We will be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, everyone, welcome back, and thank you for staying with us today. As always, feel free to reach out if you have any questions or comments. I always enjoy hearing about your experiences, answering questions, and learning more about the challenges you're facing in different parts of the world. So please keep them coming. It's Jeff at beekeepingfornewbies.com. Now let's get back to the show on the Beekeeping for Newbies radio network. Okay, that's not a real thing, but I'm trying to make it sound more official, so just play along, all right? Thanks a lot. Well, so shifting uh, gears here just a little bit so that the next because you had like a just a, a whole list of really really cool things you have going on but the next one is um you know like i mentioned to you before years ago i used to do some adult education and you as an educator any, anytime you get involved in teaching and educating that is a, a just a special fun thing in and of itself and there's some some neat things you guys have going on now or you're about to have going on here in south dakota would you uh tell us a little bit about that yeah so uh actually um an individual that uh, is instrumental in the education system in South Dakota reached out to me because they were re- they've written many USDA grants because a lot of people don't realize South Dakota and North Dakota are, are two of our states that are the highest honey producers. And a lot of our commercial beekeepers, that is home base for them. Um, people don't realize that there's a lot of sunflower fields, which then the seeds, the oils uh, are very important to our um, food industry. Uh, that's why the bees are so successful there. But they were realizing that, um, you know, around February, a fair amount of kids were kind of disappearing <laughs> and were, you know, gone for a longer period of time. Well, it turns out that their families are commercial beekeepers. And a, a lot of people don't realize this, but uh, beehives are very instrumental to our food industry. And so a lot of commercial beekeepers actually pack up their hives, put them on semi-trucks, and go all around the nation and, and have strategic stops. Um, and one of the, the, the key stops is the California, the almond grove. Um, but what we don't realize is those almond trees only bloom for like two weeks. And so that's two weeks of 
solid, solid food available for those bees. But then after they're done blooming, there's not much food because, again, that that uh, monosociety. Um, and so then they pack up their bees and they move up to the apples of Washington. And then they pack up their bees. And, they, and so they actually move around the country, uh, bringing the hives with them to pollinate certain crops and also, you know, to get honey production for the bees. Now, it is rough on our bees, um, but, uh, you know, there's more and more sustainable ways of, of, of doing this, and beekeepers are, are trying to be, you know, as humane as possible with our bees to do this. Uh, but anyway, South Dakota contacted us, and they said, we want to teach beekeeping within our school districts across the whole state. Um, and we're hoping to find an educator that's also a beekeeper. Well, I happen to fall into both those categories and I, I, they heard about our organization. And so this summer we are flying out, uh, to South Dakota and we are going to be teaching uh, a representative from each district in South Dakota, uh, about beekeeping. And I will uh, stay in connection with them and help to mentor them and hope to connect, make some connections there within the state with other beekeepers so that we can start educating our next generation about beekeeping. Um, as it, it, it was starting to show that it was a, a job or a profession that was declining because of all the issues with bees, with the mites and the, you know, the diseases. And so hopefully this will help inspire uh, you know, uh, the next generation of beekeepers to keep our bee populations healthy and to keep our food industry strong. Yep. Yep. No, that makes sense. And, you know, and the other things I think about too, is I think across the board, you know, a lot of animal husbandry and, and different types of agriculture is changing significantly. I think you see companies like Beyond Meat and, and companies that are creating alternatives to beef. I think people who have families who've been in agriculture for a really long time, you know, this allows those families or people who are really still interested in agriculture or their community is agriculture based to maybe kind of migrate their efforts in, in different ways and still be relevant to uh, in highly relevant to, uh, to their communities and to the world really. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And, and I mean, we're more immersed in the bee world, but the bee world itself is ever evolving. There's, there's new things that we have, new challenges, but then there's also innovative ideas. And that is true of, of pretty much every occupation out there. And that includes if you are uh, farming, uh, there's new equipment, there's new challenges. And so I agree. It, it just, it allows uh, people to stay within the profession and get excited about it. You know, and on a quick sidebar, that kind of reminded me of some things that I've been thinking about, and a couple of them are things that I've seen sort of maybe like a little article or, or some research that someone's trying to do. But when I think about the idea of, of monitoring hives as an example, I mean, traditionally, if you have, let's say, you're a commercial apiary with a 1,000 colonies, if you want to go know what's going on in the colony, you're going to go open every colony. But as technology continues to advance and IoT, you know, Internet of Things, being able to take a small device 
that is running like a low power Bluetooth or whatever it might be that sits in that colony. And maybe it's measuring moisture or temperature or other things. And then here you are sitting at a desk, you know, and maybe you're in Detroit, you know, and maybe it's, you know, five degrees outside and you're actively monitoring the temperature inside of all your colonies. And, you know, geez, this colony over here, their temperature is dipping. I think they've got a problem mm-hmm. and that allows you to make an intervention, you know, and I think things like that really, you know, cause I was a previous, you know, 25 year technology guy before I left that world. So things like that still kind of geek me out a little bit. And there's so much that's applicable for, for example, you know, I, I picked up a drone cause I was going to be working with a uh, couple people on some pollination contracts and they wanted, they were like, well, we're going to go out in this field, but we had to, we had a delay. It had rained for a few days and we couldn't get back there with the equipment. So we're, we'll wait, we'll, we'll walk through it in, in you know, in a couple of days and see how things look. And I just said, why don't you fly a drone over it and just do that? And they looked at me and they're like, right, right. I don't know. So I have a drone now. That's exactly, maybe fly right up, take a look around, see how things look. Boom, go on, you know, go on down the line. So just being able to leverage yeah. technology in, is really uh kind of a whole new thing for some of these more, you know, traditional you know, people in all aspects of agriculture. Yeah, isn't it exciting? And, and I think here in, in Michigan, a very important, um, a lot of the hives now are getting scaled, which is so important because if you know the weight of your hive, if they're getting low on honey for, you know, honey for the winter season, you know that you may need to go in and supplement feed because the scale is letting you know they're getting a little light. Uh, so it is really exciting, uh, the different technologies. And we actually use, um, because we have so many locations, it's easy to get the hives mixed up. And so we uh, have partnered with Hive Tracks, which is an incredible, it's a global company that I have an app on my phone and I can put in all the information. And not only does it keep me organized, but then Hive Tracks can use the data that I put in there to kind of see trends at least in the Midwest area or the Michigan area of what's going on with these. Maybe we're realizing that the mite count is higher than usual, or we're noticing that the, the bees may be swarming more than, than usual. And so it's, it really is cool to bring technology into the art of beekeeping. I mean, it's coming into all aspects of life. Why not have it for beekeeping, right? Right, right. <laughs> well, and that actually reminds me, similar related, still agriculture, but I had heard a similar type of thing with a device being able to be used on an actual cow, you know, cattle, livestock kind of thing. And mm-hmm. some farmers were, were using them to, like, once a, um, I guess it would be a heifer, I'm not even sure what the right terminology is, for a pregnant female cow, uh, once she got to a certain temperature, if she was pregnant, you knew that she was about to give birth. And this was a way that farmers were now, you know, again, like IoT-type devices, were monitoring these cattle to say, oh, yeah, we got one over there in field 16, it's about to give birth. And they were able to get out there and make sure that there weren't any complications, you know, things like that. That's just, that's pretty exciting. But, well, so while we're, we're on the technical aspect, more high level, let's see if we can kind of dive into the hive a little bit and, and talk a little bit about, you know, IPM, integrated pest management and things like that. Is there anything that you see in Michigan? I know here we have a lot of discussions. I mean, a lot of people are always consistently asking about Varroa and, and colony mm-hmm. collapse and things like that. And we have always have the standard, you know, hive beetle and wax moth and things like that. But anything that's going on up there that would be <clears throat> unique? I know we have some listeners, like I mentioned to you out in Grand Rapids and a few other places uh, that are going to be facing, you know, the similar challenges to what you face up there as well. So anything that's you know unique in your area that you have to contend with? So it's all those things that you said. I mean, those were the things that the minute you said them, it's like, bam, bam. I mean, 
I would say a decade ago that the colony collapse disorder was, everybody was talking about it. Uh, we've seen a little relief in that, uh, where our colonies aren't just, you know, disappearing uh, as often. It, it's still, there's still, unfortunately, is times like that, but the big conversation, and I think it's impossible to even talk, you know, to, to be involved in beekeeping and not talk about the Varroa mites. Um, obviously, the Varroa mites, and those who don't know, it is, it's a parasite that uh, connects itself uh, to the bees. Um, I have a model of one, a, a 3D model that was printed out that would be the size of, like I can hold it up at presentations because all, honestly, it would be close to in between the size of a softball and a volleyball on us. <clears throat> it, it, it's, it's quite devastating. I mean, these mites, um, parasites don't want to kill their host, obviously, because then they don't have a source, but it definitely weakens them. And that makes the winters very difficult. Sure. And we're starting to see uh, a lot of beekeepers are talking about that it seems like the mites, just like nature does, are starting to adapt to some of these treatments. And so there's a lot of talk now. Um, I've been talking with a few bee groups that we really needed to diversify uh, our treatments because uh, the mites are starting to adapt. So if you just use one kind of treatment, it's not as effective as it had been. But this is also where science comes in, that there's more and more breeds uh, of, of bees that are starting to naturally be able to fight off the mite, which is exciting. Uh, because here we go again, nature's ever-evolving. And um, so that keeps it very fresh, but it also can be very um, heartbreaking. I mean, you do lose hives, especially in the wintertime. And I would say here in Michigan, one of the main reasons is they're weakened because of varroa mites. Sure. Um, and so, unfortunately, uh, we do have to deal with that. And it, it is an added expense. It's an added uh, time commitment to make sure that we're helping. But uh, the problem is, is the, the varroa mites, uh, just like with humans, if you're weakened, you now are more susceptible to other diseases. And so we do have to watch out for foul brood and, and a lot of the other d- diseases that um, can devastate a, a colony. Absolutely. Yeah, sure thing. Brian, one thing I'm actually doing is I just brought in a dozen from Wildflower Meadows, a dozen queens. Uh, they're all VSH. And they're supposed to be you know bred for the varroa-sensitive hygiene. And uh, what I'm going to do with them actually this year is I'm going to kind of mix things up a little bit. I'm going to set a couple of them aside, and I'm going to give probably two or three of them no treatment at all. I may have a couple mm-hmm. of them that I do treat. I may make a cut. I'm going to mix and match and do a few different things, but I definitely want to have a good sample group that I'm not doing anything with. I'm not letting them uh, split. I'm not, you know, if any queen cells that come up aren't going to go anywhere else. I just want to have the opportunity to kind of get laser focused on them and just to see how well they do. My concern with them, as always, is it's great that I've got this VSH queen today, but then when I want to do that split in the spring, I've got all of these you know wild drones that I know nothing about their history or their mm-hmm. background or their genetics, and like I always tell people, you're, you're one you're one swarm or one queen cell away from you know losing that genetic characteristic. So something that I'll be playing around with to see how how that works out. But uh, you know it's 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 fun. It's bringing new genetics into the apiary, so we'll see how that goes. Yeah, and it's so interesting because people don't realize how much science is involved <laughs> with beekeeping. I mean, uh, people, 
that's another thing that I like to educate about. Like I get so many emails of people that are like, yeah, I think I'm going to do a hide this year. And I'm like, Oh, well, did you already research in it? And so I try to tell people that at least a year, you really should be researching, reading about bees, watching videos, join a bee club. Uh, if you're lucky enough to find a mentor and shadow that person, because it is a commitment. It is not just putting a box in your backyard and just letting nature do its thing. I mean, nature does know what it's doing as well, but uh, we as beekeepers want to do everything as possible to help our bees thrive. And um, that's where beekeeping and science comes in. And so this is exciting that you are getting to, to uh, I don't like to use the word experiment because it just, it sounds, you know, negative, <laughs> but you are, you're trying things though for the betterment of bees. Sure, sure. And this could be, we may discover, you may discover something that could be a key component to helping our pollinators thrive. And so that is exciting that, that uh, we have that opportunity uh, to basically do um, some controlled studies, keeping in mind that we are also making sure that we're keeping our bees healthy, uh, but to, to see what is best for those bees. So you, you actually made a couple of comments here that I'm going to highlight here because when I first started the podcast, one of the first things I emphasized to everybody that I was communicating with and trying to get the messaging out to, I said, find a bee club in your area. See if they can mm-hmm. assign you a mentor. If you can find, if that doesn't work out, look in different groups, find a bulletin board, find a website, a blog, someplace online where people are communicating and sharing thoughts. And then I threw it out. Hey, as a last ditch effort, you can't find anybody. Drop me an email. We'll get on the phone. We'll talk about it. You know, for now I can do that. If things really scale out of control, I may not have that luxury, but we're okay for now. So feel free to contact me, but it's great to hear that consistent messaging across the board because like I had mentioned to you before, you know, I, I wasted a lot of money just trying to figure things out on my own. Mm-hmm. And there's a wealth of knowledge. There's so many smart people out there that are so passionate about what we do and they love to share the information. So just go ask for it and they're happy to give it up. Oh yeah. It's been my experience being a part of, I'm a, a part of three or four different bee clubs in this area. And I work with a lot of other beekeepers. It is my experience that just like we are right now, when you get talking bees with somebody else that loves bees, I mean, they want to share their knowledge. They want to bounce ideas off of you. They want to hear what your experience is with this. And that's how we grow. That's how we learn. And, and I, I really get uh, concerned about people that are, you know, uh, so close minded. This is the only way uh, because I, I feel like the more that we, we, talk to each other and learn from each other and, and our, you know, it, we also need to be open with each other and, and not be judgmental. We, you know, we should be supporting each other. And I just, sometimes I find that, um, you know, people will, will focus on how you're doing something and tell you that you're doing it wrong. And, and but we learn together. And it's important that we support each other. And that's the thing about beekeeping and a lot of different hobbies and things. There is no one right way. Um, there are different ways that work, just like there's not just one hive. I mean, some people may prefer to have a top bar hive as opposed to the Langstrap hive. Yet, you know, the, there's different ways to do something successfully. 
you know, and so for anyone listening right now, I did not pre, you know, pre tell Brian what to say. <laughs> so I'm laughing because if you watch any of the videos I put on YouTube or if you listen to any of the podcast, I say this all the time. I'm like, use what you have. If you have some things that are that are laying around, if all you have are four or five frame nukes, then just stack five frame nukes vertically as, you know, put four or five of them on top of yeah. each other. Or, yeah. you know, everybody's like, well, my friend, he's been beekeeping for five years. He says I have to use a 10 frame. Like, no, use a eight frame or use the, you know, use what you have, use what's available. But you, you absolutely nailed it again, right? I tell people all the time, when I'm, when I'm going through discussions around things, I say, hey, you know, this is what I like to do. I've had some pretty good success with this, and some of my friends do it. So give it a shot. You know, hopefully it works out for you. But like you said, there's not, you know, it's not a, a mathematical equation. It's not, you know, 3 plus 4 equals 7. It, it, you know, that, there's not a lot of gray area in that. We know right. that 3 plus right. 4 is 7. This is, you know, like a, yeah, I, I picture sort of like the, you know, Einstein formula on the chalkboard kind of thing. There, there are a lot of variables and a lot of different ways to get to that end result. So I, I love hearing that from you. That's, that's great. Yeah. And it's so interesting because up here uh, with our, a little bit more, you know, our winters are a little bit more harsh and a little bit longer. Um, there's a lot of trending right now where a lot of beekeepers are wintering nukes, you know, and uh, 10 years ago, I never even heard of that. You know, you needed to have the, the hives with, tons of resources, but now a lot of beekeepers are having more success wintering smaller colonies. And then, you know, once spring starts coming, they expand to build up because the bees will build up pretty quickly. Sure. Yeah, I that same thing, right, years ago when people said, well, you know, so-and-so overwinters nukes, I, I think I actually said, oh, no, you can't do that. <laughs> I, mean, I think I right, say, right. no, they don't have enough resources that won't work. But then I started doing it. I started paying a lot of attention to um, uh, Michael Palmer up there at French Hill Apiary in Vermont. He, he puts out a, it was just got like a 35, 40 year beekeeper puts out a lot of uh, great content over the years. But that's one of his styles with that uh, double nuke, the four frame nuke where he puts, you know, a deep that's divided with four frames on each side. Then he runs four frame nukes on top of that. He overwinters them in that kind of configuration and they form a single cluster in the middle between the two separate colonies. It's it's wild the way that it works out. Mm-hmm. But again, the idea of, of overwintering nukes, to me, it was still, I saw it. I saw videos, heard people say they had success with it. But until I actually did it myself, I really wasn't 100% convinced. So it's 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 real. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, so Brian, you know, as you know that that uh, you know the podcast is, is really geared towards new people. You know, that we're kind of going into what I would call the second season, so to speak. Is there anything that you can think of? And you know, like I said, take take thirty seconds, thirty minutes, whatever you want to do. But anything that you can think of, advice that you would throw out there, like you mentioned before, hey, get into a bee club, get a mentor. But what other advice or thoughts or, or things would you want to throw out to a new beekeeper to kind of help them either you know get off the fence, like? Hey, you can do this. It's going to be okay. Or just anything that you can, you know, you can think of. You know, I really, I, I, I really repeating what I said earlier, you just don't want to jump into it. I, I, this may be the worst analogy, but I mean, when somebody is planning to have their first child, it's not like they just wait until the day before to, you know, get the nursery in order and, 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 and prep for this, this baby that's going to be a part of their life. I mean, you have to do a lot of advanced planning. And I really want to stress that it is so important that you, number one, have, you know, the knowledge and you have people that you can reach out to that can help you if you do get stuck. 
Um, but before you invest in it, because it's, it's not only that you are investing money into it, because it, I mean, the equipment is, it's not like, it's, it's not cheap, but it's also not like going to break the bank. Although for some people it might, but you're also investing in life. I mean, these are lives of creatures. And so you want to make sure that you are prepared to take care of them and to manage them in a way that they uh, hopefully will be more successful. And so I really uh, encourage that. And I guess the other thing that I tell a lot of new beekeepers is don't be discouraged because there are going to be naysayers out there. There are going to be beekeepers that, you know, question why you're even going into it or how could you even ask that? And I always tell them, just like my fifth graders, there's no dumb question. So don't be afraid to ask the questions. And if people kind of get on you and say, uh, well, you shouldn't be asking that. You should already know that. Don't be discouraged. You know, uh, I would rather that you ask the question and, and get that confirmation that you need than to be scared to ask the question because you're afraid that people are going to, you know, attack you or, or tell you that you don't know what you're doing. And so I, I always share that, that just don't be discouraged and find people that are supportive and groups that are supportive that, that you can really tap into that resource. You know, I think that's very well said, you know, and to just to add a little nugget there, you know, I mean, I think almost every bee club or anybody I've spoken to at or in a bee club, they're always doing community outreach of some sort, or they're always doing fr mm -hmm. free events, you know, Hey, come by our, our club meeting at this particular location on this day and learn all about, you know, your first year beekeeping or the supplies you'll need. Or, you know, I think it's like, I want to say for the club, I mean, I think it's $15 a year. And with that, you also right. get, <laughs> you also get a membership to the Virginia state beekeepers association with that. So it's, it's, it's not expensive. And I believe maybe a couple dollars more, you get the family membership and everyone's included. So it's not going to, you know, not going to break the bank, but there is a tremendous amount of, you know, free education that's out there, uh, whether it's, you know, online videos, clubs, et cetera. So very, very well said. So, I just want to give one last kind of pass the mic to you, you know, for a kind of a wrap up anything, anything and everything, whether it's just more, you know, more about bees in the D or pollination, honey production, anything else you can think of that you'd like to leave everybody with on your final thoughts. I just, I, I really encourage people to, uh, to explore, you know, Nature. It doesn't even have to be bees. I mean, you will be blown away with how complex our ecosystems are and how connected everything is. And the more you dig into it, the more you explore, the more you are going to be blown away with how well the system works as long as we don't, you know, mess it up too much. Or, you know, um, it, it, unfortunately, sometimes we do. Uh, but it is just, it, it is, I don't know, maybe it's just because I'm a science geek and I'm a, especially a life science geek that I get all excited about this. But I, I see it when I go out and do presentations. When I'm walking through a farmer's market and seeing somebody selling honey and the education that's happening from customer to, you know, from the person sitting behind the table, people are fascinated by nature but bees in particular, I mean, the facts and the things that you learn will absolutely blow your mind that these tiny insects are so complex 
and that these tiny insects work together in such a cohesive way uh, for the good of the hive, it's, it's actually quite inspiring. Um, and I, I wish that sometimes us as humans, we could work for the good of the hive <laughs> as well as bees do. Um, maybe the good of the earth instead of the good of the hive uh, like the bees do and, and learn from their example. And, and to also think about the fact that there's this insect that provides so many products for us as humans. I mean, honey, of course, wax, uh, royal jelly, propolis, um, pollen. I mean, there's just so many things that these bees uh, provide for us. Um, they really are, as, as they've been dubbed, a super organism. And honey truly is a super food. And so it, it, it's so fun to be able to share that knowledge with others, um, any age. I mean, from down to kids all the way up to adults, uh, people are just fascinated and want to learn more. And I really want to stress, please support your local beekeepers. And I always tell people, you get what you pay for. Uh, and that is so true with honey. Uh, you want to get that fresh, raw honey from your area, from your beekeeper to not only support them, but man, there's nothing like it. And uh, you may pay a few more extra dollars, uh, but you know that money is going towards a really important cause, and you know that you're getting a really quality product uh, to enjoy. And so just continue to support uh, local beekeepers or organizations like Bees in the D that are trying to get the word out there um, and share that knowledge as you learn it. A great conversation to have with people around the dinner table or, <laughs> you know, while you're at a party. Um, I, I joke about that because uh, people know that if I'm going to be involved in anything, they're going to be hearing about me. <laughs> <laughs> well, Brian, I tell you, it's, it's really tough after you say something to follow up because you, you cover it so comprehensively. And I, and I just... I love hearing the passion from you because I'm a, I'm a bee geek or as some people call it like a beak, you know, I'm a little bit of a, a uh, I get so geeked out and excited about it and it's good to see someone else who shares that same level of passion and uh, definitely really sincerely appreciate you taking the time to, you know, to chat with us today. And, uh, and as I mentioned in, in the past here, when we caught up briefly the other day, you're always welcome anytime. If you want to get some new information out, if you wanted to share something with some cool things going on up there in Detroit or anywhere, you know, love to hear a report back on your, your South Dakota work this summer, anything and everything, man, we'd love to have you back, you know, whenever you have the chance and, uh, and folks it's, it's Brian Peterson and it is going to be bees in the D. So it's just B E E S I N T H E D.com bees in the D.com. Brian, again, thank you so much. We really appreciate your time. Yeah, and, and Jeff, the one other thing I, I probably should have mentioned earlier is um, I love, to, if you love learning about this, um, we are on social media. I do a Forager Friday video every Friday that shares about plants. And it may not be in your area, but it's fun to learn about them. And then, of course, on our website, um, I put up a lot of educational um, resources, and videos. Um, while the pandemic was happening, I started doing buzzworthy activities uh, that teachers can use. They can go in and I have uh, little lesson plans that they can use within their classrooms or just parents that might want to do it with their kids. Uh, so all those resources are either on you know our website at bsmitty.com or you can follow us at bsmitty on social media. 
because that's what it's about. I mean, it's fun for us to share our passion, like you said. Absolutely. That's outstanding. I will definitely put links to, to you wherever I can and anywhere that I have all of our social things going on. We'll definitely be sure to link to you and to check it out. Well, like I said, Brian, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate your time. Yeah, I look forward to next time. It's always fun talking to you and uh, geeking out together about bees. <laughs> Without a doubt. Thank you so much, Brian. I really appreciate it. Well, folks, I just, I really got to tell you, I can't thank all of you enough for, for everything. I mean, the support, the emails, the, um, just the opportunity to engage with people like Brian and, and people, you know, who listen to the podcast. I mean, it's, it's so much fun to, to hear the feedback from people and, to hear their stories of success and sometimes some of their trials and tribulations. It's a, a, just a tremendous opportunity and I feel, feel very fortunate for it and really, really enjoyed talking to Brian today. I mean, just super guy doing some awesome things up there in Detroit. So really looking forward to meeting up with him someday. So folks, I'm going to go ahead and, and wrap it up for the day. I have been putting out a lot more content here on YouTube, trying to get caught up on some videos, trying to figure that whole thing out. So feel free to go over there and, Take a look, unlike, unsubscribe, and all of that good stuff. I know that's not how it's supposed to go, but we'll just play play along. One more thing I did forget about. I've got, I think, two B-Buzz episodes and a couple others teed up. Phoebe's got some things that she's working on that we're going to have her on in the next day or two to talk about that. So we do have quite a bit going on, and we're going to have it all out here in the next week. But I definitely appreciate all of you. Feel free to reach out, Jeff, at beekeepingfornewbies.com. And, uh... We'll talk to you again real soon. Be kind to one another. Take care. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Why pay more for a separate CoQ10 supplement? Enjoy twice the benefits with Superbeats Heart Choose Advanced. From the number one doctor, pharmacist, and cardiologist recommended beet brand for heart health support, the new Superbeats Heart Choose Advanced by Human is now infused with CoQ10. That's essentially like getting CoQ10 for free. Our powerful blend of beetroot, grapeseed extract, and CoQ10 ingredients support nitric oxide production healthy blood pressure, healthy CoQ10 levels, and heart-healthy energy with two tasty chews a day. Plus, Superbeats Heart Chews Advance are plant-based, so you get heart-healthy energy without stimulants. For a limited time, get a free 30-day supply of Superbeats Heart Chews on all bundles and 15% off your first order by going to RadioBeats.com and using promo code DEAL. That's RadioBeats.com, code DEAL.